All right, we are going to start or dig in now to Galatians 2, going through the word verse by verse. And uh, so let's kind of get to it a little bit here. So we're going to start as we're kind of, you probably are going to see a theme through all six chapters of just God's grace. And so we're going to start by really talking about our freedom in Christ and our liberty uh, that we receive through him. So my question for you today, this morning is, are you willing to take a stand? Even if it costs you popularity, security, or even ultimately your life. Are you willing to take that stand? In Galatians 2, we see Paul's fight for spiritual liberty in Christ. His first uh, fight, we see in verse 1 through 10 at the Jerusalem Council, and his second with a private meeting with Peter in verses 11 through 21. Had Paul not firmly believed in the freedom in Christ, church today, as we know it, would probably be very different. It would be a mixture of both law and law and grace, and uh, that's not what the word of God is founded upon. But because of Paul's courage, the gospel was kept free of legalism and was carried to the Gentiles, or us, with great blessings. So, as we dig into verse 1 through 10, you might also jot down in your notes Acts 15, 1 through 20, uh, to go back and read through that. To get the full story, obviously verses 1 through, you have 1 through 10 here in Galatians, verses 20 whole verses of Acts. It gives you more of a complete story of what's going on here. We don't have time to read through that as well. Today we're going to hit on one small section, but later as you're reflecting and learning about what God's teaching you today as we go through all six uh, chapters, you might go back and read that to kind of reinforce um, some points. So let's dig in. I like to ask uh, those different people to read, just so I'm not doing all the talking. So, do I have a volunteer to start us, verses 1 through 5? Or I'll just call. Thank you. Karen! Alright, so the main point of what this first section really is dealing with is um, circumcision. And circumcision during this time was kind of being demanded of the Gentiles um, because it was a Jewish rite really passed down through Abraham. However, um, through Christ and through his grace, it wasn't really, it wasn't the truth of the word at that point. So submitting in this way meant accepting and obeying the whole Jewish law. That's why um, Jews were circumcised. Was It was an, an act of obedience to the whole Jewish law. Um, however, they had forgotten that there had to be an inner circumcision of the heart. They forgot the true spiritual meaning of what that circumcision means, just as churches today have forgotten really the true um, spiritual meaning of baptism and what that really means. Um, and it intends, 
instead has become more of an external ritual. True Christians have experienced an inner circumcision of the heart. So, circumcision of the heart is really what we're, we want to kind of go after. Verse 2, oh, we saw this actually twice in uh, chapter 1 as well, but verse 2, point, I want to point out that um, Paul's going to this um, Jerusalem council because of a revelation um, from God. He's not going because man or the Jewish council has called him. He's going to this council because God's directed him to go. Um, it was because God told him to go. He was going as an act of obedience. And that's always a good thing that we want to keep in mind. Um, and then in that same verse, verse 2, Paul, uh, what Paul, what made Paul fear that he might have run or uh, run the race in vain? What, it, what, why is that? So quickly, um, let's just look at Acts. This is the only part of Acts 15 that we're going to look at because it addresses this travel time that we see here. Acts 15 verse 3 says, The church sent him on their way as they traveled through, um, I don't know, in Samaria. They told how the Gentiles had been converted. So as he's, as he's on his way to this council, he's talking about the gospel. He's, he's not going in fear of he doesn't know the truth of the gospel. He's going, and along the way, he's continuing to proclaim uh, the gospel. So he's not going wondering or doubting his own um, convictions. As he's going, he's saying, no, I know that I have the truth. I know that I have the complete entirety of God's word. And we see that, evidence of that, in Acts 15.3. However, as we're back in chapter 2 of Galatians... Um, However, if the pillars sided with the Judaizers, as we saw again in chapter 1, we're coming back to them again, those false teachers here in chapter 2, or tried to compromise the truth of the gospel, Paul's ministry among the Gentiles would have been in jeopardy. So he's going first to the leaders because he sees and knows that they need to present a united front um, in front of the, the church, the body of Christ. So let's look now at verse 3. Um, verse 3, yet not even Titus, so uh, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. In this instance, Titus is kind of becoming a test case um, at this point to the, the, the Jewish council. Uh, he was a Gentile Christian who never submitted to circumcision, yet it was clear to all that he was genuinely saved. So the point being that they couldn't genuinely be saved until they were circumcised. All of the Jew, uh, Jewish council realized that Titus was saved, but he wasn't circumcised. So that they, you didn't have to have law in order to have God's grace is what, is what Titus was saying, really, through his, his testimony. Uh, so it was clear to all that Titus was saved. Since he was a saved man, he gave evidence of having the Holy Spirit. And the Jude, uh, Judaizers were proven wrong in their thinking through Titus as, as an example, a living example of what God's grace can do. In verse uh, 5, as we kind of look at verse 5, um, Paul didn't give in to, to the Judaized thinking that was going on. Um, ever since Paul's time, the enemies of grace, grace have been trying to add something to the simple gospel of God's grace. However, Paul made it clear that these teachers were wrong. They were false in their thinking. 
As Christians, we need to appreciate the courage that Paul took as he made a stand for the gospel of grace. Peace at any cost was not uh, Paul's philosophy of ministry, nor should it be ours. The application for us today as we live is that we cannot compromise the gospel of grace. We have to stay true to that. We can't think, oh, I'm going to do this work, or I'm going to go to this meeting, or I'm going to go to this um, convention, um, or any of those things. We simply live and breathe because we have accepted God's grace, and we're not uh, shackled to the laws of legalism like they're trying to do here uh, in this section 1 through 10, really, or 1 through 5 that we just read. So, we must simply speak the message of God's grace without adding our own thoughts or opinions. All right, the next section we're going to dig into is 6 through 10. Laura, could you read that for me? All right, so the leaders recognized that God had assigned different areas of ministry to, to these different men. It was agreed that each man would minister in his own sphere of influence. Um, the application for us is that we are all called to action. Every one of us here in this room today are called to action. God has given each of us a redemptive story of grace and mercy. Let us be bold in sharing the amazing work of God in our lives. So just as these men have been called to their own sphere of influence to minister, so too are we called to proclaim our redemptive story of grace and mercy. All right, in verse 10, in verse 10 we see that um, they've asked Paul to, con- to remember the poor. So here we see a pairing of both the gospel and action. It's not enough to just know the word. It's not enough to um, simply pray prayers for those in need around us. Um, We must be willing to take action. Correct doctrine is never a substitute for Christian duty. We have to be willing to pair the gospel with the action of getting out and ministering to those in need around us. Too often our churches discuss problems but fail in practical help for those in need. All right, this next section, 11 uh, through really 21, we're going to see a difference here in which, as a teacher, I just got done teaching band camp this last week, and one of the things that makes me so frustrated is when I have to reteach a concept over and over and over and over, right? For the teachers in the room, right? That's one of the things that gets under your skin so fast. Well, here we see Paul having to reteach a lesson um, that Jesus taught to uh, his disciples. And he's teaching this lesson to Peter, even though Peter's heard the same lesson over and over and over and over. So here we see teaching and testing. Peter, in this section, which we're getting ready to read, um, Peter's being tested 
in that which he's already been taught. And uh, then we see Paul doing the reteaching. <laughs> and uh, so I understand as a teacher that frustration that happens. Um, Christina, could you read 11 through 13 for me? All right, so even though verses 11 through 10, and again, you'll get more if you go back and read that Acts 15, you'll get a little bit more depth there. Even though the, this um, Jerusalem conference ended with the leaders all in agreement that circumcision wasn't needed any longer, that now we instead live under uh, God's grace, um, it still didn't permanently solve the problem of continually trying to go back to um, the law. And instead of just living by the grace of God, um, the Judaizers didn't give up. And instead, here we see um, them quickly following at Paul's heels. In verse 11, <laughs> I love this. In verse 11, we see Fickle Peter. He was a man who could show amazing faith and courage one minute and fail completely the next. I've been there. I know exactly. I can relate too well with Peter here. Peter had been afraid to give, uh, or he had not been afraid to give witness at the Jerusalem conference, but in the face of opposition, he completely crumbled. He walked on the waves to Jesus, but then he became frightened and began to sink. He boasted in the upper room that he would be willing to die with Jesus, yet he denied him three times. Peter in the book of Acts is certainly more consistent than in the four Gospels, but he was not perfect, and neither are we. Peter's fear led to Peter's fall, which is what we see in this section. The application and question for us is, can we become vulnerable enough to recognize our own fears that factor in to us ultimately failing in our mission um, to preach the gospel and our spheres of influence? So that's something worth journaling about. As we see Peter fall because of his, fa- uh, because of his fear, is what fears do we have that keep us from ministering and sharing God's grace, the truth of the word to those in our own spheres of influence? What became, uh, what became of Peter's fall? He became a hypocrite and led others astray with him. Uh, with him. And we see that um, there at the end of verse 13. The word hypocrite means one who puts on a mask, referring to an actor. In this case, Peter knew that the Gentile, uh, Gentile believers were really Christians. He did know that. He had, you know, walked with Jesus. Jesus obviously taught him that over and over and over and over again. He did know that. Yet, because of the pressure from certain men of James, he acted, again, keeping in mind what the word hypocrite means, he acted like they were not Christians at all. Even worse, his disobedience had tremendous influence on those around him. Um, As we see at the end of verse 13, even Barabbas was led astray. So the application for us, how how does this relate to what we do and how we walk every day? The application for us is, are we going to be stumbling blocks, like Peter, to those in our spheres of influence? Or are we going to be a stepping stone? 
Let us be willing to share the truth of the gospel of grace at any cost, which is really what Paul was doing here. He was um, in this one-on-one meeting with Peter. No matter what the cost was, he was going to share the truth with him, and which he or reteach, I guess I should say, the truth to him. All right. Um, let's see. Can I get a volunteer for 14? Just one verse, 14. Excellent. Tiffany? All right, so as Tiffany said in kind of our intro into the book of Galatians, Paul's writing this book um, as a letter to the Galatians. Here in this section, 11 through kind of 21, many Bible scholars aren't really sure where Paul's conversation directly to Peter um, ends and where his letter to the Galatians kind of picks back up. Um, But no matter what the direction, it ultimately boils down to our liberty in, in Christ. Warren Wearsby notes, um, I know he's a favorite of a lot of us who kind of dig in. Uh, Warren Wearsby notes that there are five basic Christian doctrines that were being denied by Peter because of his separation from the Gentiles. So we're going to go over those five uh, basic Christian doctrines, um, keeping in mind that Peter was uh, denying these or forgetting them, really, but ones that we should keep in mind and think about. So the first one, the first Christian doctrine is the unity of the church, which is what we see here in verse 14. The first being unity of the church. At the Jerusalem conference, Peter himself had stated, put no difference between us, meaning Jews, because this, uh, this is Peter, and them, which we see that quote from Acts 15.9. But now Peter had made a division. Now he's saying, any practice on our part violates the scripture and separates brother from brother is a denial of the unity of the body of Christ is a is a Wearsby quote there too so unity of the church we want to make sure that we are unified and Peter was trying to make divisions within the church the second one is justification by faith justification by faith and let's uh to pick that point up let's read 15 through 16 uh willie could you read that for us 15 and 16 we are jews by nature and not sinners of the gentiles knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of jesus christ even we have believed in jesus christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. All right, so how should man be just with God? It's really a vital question that we see in this in this section, 15 through 16. And that question is stated in Job 9.2. How should a man be just with God? Habakkuk 2.4 is God's answer. Habakkuk 2.4. The just shall live by faith. So how, do we, how are we justified? By faith in God. Justification is such an important topic that three of the New Testament books explain it to us. Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. And for specific spots on that, that you can, if you want to look back up and refer to, uh, Romans 1.17 would be a specific spot. Galatians 3.11 and Hebrews 
Wearsby states that justification is an act. Justification is an act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. Act of God whereby he declares the believing sinner righteous in Jesus Christ. Take note, justification is an act. It's not a process. A gift and not an earnings of work. Romans 5.1 states, Having therefore been once and for all justified by faith, we have peace with God. Kind of bringing back from chapter 1 that idea of grace and peace, that they have to go together. Since we are justified by faith, it is an instant and immediate gift given by God to believing sinners. Notice, sinners, it's not believing sinners, right? If we were justified by works, it would be a gradual process. Chuck Smith states in his book, Why Grace Changes Everything, Even our best efforts cannot take away the guilt of what we have already done. Good works can never justify us. Even a whole life of good works cannot atone for one single sin. So, in justification, God declares the believing sinner righteous. It does not make him righteous. Of course, real justification leads to a changed life. Um, And for that, you can look up James 2. We'll kind of talk about that idea of a changed life through justification. Justification is also um, different from a pardon. A part, because a pardon criminal still has a record. We have no record through God's grace. Um, The justified sinner by faith, um, past sins have been remembered against him no longer. And God, God no longer puts his sin on record. And for that, you can look up Psalms 32, 1 through 2, and Romans 4, 1 through 8. So our sins are no longer on record. God simply declares us righteous. Finally, God justified sinners, not good people. He doesn't look for those who are trying to obtain their salvation through good works. He justifies sinners, not good people. The reason most sinners are not justified um, is because they are not willing to admit their sin and accept his gift. Remember, it's a gift, so you have to be willing to receive it um, by faith. So here in this section, when Peter separated himself from the Gentiles, he was denying the truth of justification by faith. Instead, he was saying, we Jews are different from the Gentiles, and better than, actually, the Gentiles. Yet both groups, both Jews and Gentiles, are sinners, right? We cannot attain, obtain God's grace through, through works. We are only saved by grace. Um, another quote by Chuck Smith is, God desires to bestow upon us his righteousness and the fullness of his love, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. All right, the third point of our Christian doctrine is freedom from the law. And Brittany, can you, or Britt, can you read 17 and 18 for us? Freedom from All right, Paul was basically saying, Peter, we didn't find salvation through the law. We found it through faith in Jesus. 
But now, after being saved, you are returning to the law, which points only to your sin. That was the point of the law, was to point us to our, our sin and the need for God's grace. Furthermore, you preach the gospel of God's grace to both Jews and Gentiles, telling them they are justified only by faith, but not human works. But returning to legalism, you are building up once you want what you tore down. What you once tore down. In other words, Paul was telling Peter to go back to Moses is denying everything God has done in you and through you. All right, so the fourth basic Christian doctrine is the very gospel itself. And for that, I'm going to go ahead and read because we're getting a little bit. Um, Verses 19 and 20. For through the law I denied the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we are saved by faith in Christ. Simply, he died for us. And we live by faith in him, meaning he lives in us now, right? Verse 20, you might note as an excellent passage to memorize. As a passage that you want to kind of store upon that heart and, uh, and keep with you. We should be so identified with Christ um, by the Spirit that we die with him, which is Romans 6, right? This means we are dead to the law or works, that we're no longer trying to live for, uh, through works. To go back to attempting to gain, uh, gain our salvation through works is to return to the graveyard. Since we live by his resurrection power, we do not need the help of works. He has given us the best gift that wants nothing else in return. And lastly, let's look at verse 21, which reads, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So the fifth basic uh, doctrine that Peter was denying was simply the grace of God. Grace says there is no difference. Um, But Peter's actions said there is a difference. The grace of God is not sufficient. We also need the law. That's what Peter was saying, right? Which is not according to the word of God. Returning to the law nullifies the cross. Law says do, but grace says done. Right? And um, in closing, we see Peter responding with fear and failure. But Paul with courage and the defense of the gospel. But the question for us today is, what is our response to the truth of the gospel? Have I been saved by the grace of God? Or am I trusting in self for salvation through works, good works, religious activities, etc.? Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 gives us God's answer. For it is by God's grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. If our relationship with God depends on being righteous and good, we would never make it, folks. <laughs> Am I trying to mix the second question of this that we need to be answering throughout this today and the weeks to come is, am I trying to mix law and grace? Law means we must do something to please God. Well, grace means that God has finished the work for me, Right? Grace meaning done, law meaning do. And all I need is to have faith and receive his gift. Am I, the third question, am I walking in liberty of grace? Liberty does not mean license. Rather, it means freedom of, in Christ to enjoy his, um, 
to, sorry, to enjoy him and to become what he has determined for us to become, which is Ephesians, back to Ephesians 2, but verse 10. We no longer are in bondage to sin and the law, thankfully, through God's grace. We obey God because of love for him and not because of the law. Again, I'm from the book, Why Grace Changes Everything. Quote from Chuck Smith, I have a great hope in the work that Jesus Christ did for me and in the work God is doing in me by the power of the Holy Spirit as he is conforming me into the image of Christ. And the last question that we have to answer over this time, next couple weeks is, does my walk reflect the truth of the gospel or does it reflect that of the law? Um, let us know our sword so that we never compromise the gospel. Uh, Saint, uh, Steve uses this quote quite a bit, but Saint uh, Francis of Assisi said, wherever you go, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. So we've talked, just in the first two chapters, we've talked a lot about God's grace, right? And that's, I think you're going to see that really through all six chapters, although I don't, you know, I've read through it, but um, what everybody's going to hit on. But I think you're going to see that throughout. If you desire to know more about this, I really recommend, um, obviously, the word is your first thing that you want to go to. A a great supplement is uh, this book that I've quoted from numerous times, Why Grace Changes Everything. Um, It's just packed with the word, and it really, if the concept of God's grace is new to you or um, is something you want to know more about, highly, highly recommend um, this book. So we have God's grace which stands for freedom. Or we can choose to live by works, the law, which equals bondage, right? Um, One kind of check on learning, as we talked about testing and um, remembering, is Matthew 11 is a great um, thing to go along with God's grace. And Carrie, can you tell us what Matthew 11, 29 says? Excellent. Very good. So, God's grace, his yoke is light. And notice the end of that passage, it says peace, right? That idea of grace and peace go together. If we want to take on the the idea of works, that we have to work to gain our salvation, we're going to be under heavy, heavy bondage, folks. But if we choose to accept God's gift that he willingly gives, his his yoke is, is light, And if we choose to learn from him, we will find that peace that can only come through his his grace. 